Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Jehoshaphat. Um, <laughs> I'm not pausing to be like dramatic or seem spiritual. I am. Um, I just really wanted to do something to move tonight. Um, <sighs> one thing that the spirit of religion robs from the saints is the pleasure and rest of having God as helper. And I want to tell you something true that if you'll receive it, will set you free. And that is that God, the Father, does not desire ever to so transform you that you are so much like Jesus that you no longer need him. fact, the more you see him, the more you become aware of how much you need him. But you also grow increasingly confident that he loves being needed. <laughs> and your heart is put at ease. <clears throat> the scripture, what was it? A burnt offering he has not, what is that scripture? Psalm 40. But you have pierced my ear. Why? Because faith comes by hearing. Oh, man. If you're uncomfortable by public displays of emotion, I apologize in advance. <laughs> I laugh, cry a lot. I learned it from Melissa Smith. Um, <laughs> uh, I um, faith comes by hearing and I want to tell you something else um, your zeal your passion in worship will not sustain you and it sure as heck doesn't save you your commitment to the house of prayer and being in a body that prays and becoming a house of prayer yourself will not sustain you and it will not save you. Your obedience, as beautiful as it is and required, will not sustain you and it does not save you. It earns you nothing. God seeks one thing, and that is faith. One thing pleases him, and that is faith. We are saved by his grace alone through faith 
alone. And Michael asked me a couple weeks ago, I um, shared a message Saturday night and Sunday morning on being stewards of, of mystery. And um, I wasn't able to share Sunday evening because um, Trace was here kind of pastoring us into whatever God is doing um, in our midst and specifically among uh, our USM second year students. And it was so good to have him share and give us context and language and handlebars. Um, But he asked me um, if I would come back and share that message here, and I will. but I felt like the Lord asked me something that scared me as I was driving here. Because <laughs> what he asked was, if you drop dead tonight, Kev, what would you tell the people? And my first thought was like, I don't want to drop dead, Lord. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> what would you want for the people? And before I tell you what my answer was, I realized that that question, it really did kind of make me afraid at first. I thought, oh no. But then I thought, no, that is how we are to live. We are to live as the mysterious walking dead and yet fully alive. The scripture says that we are to be living epistles read by all men. And that is true of us People are reading us, they're watching us, and our lives are preaching something all the time. That's sobering to me, because sometimes my life preaches things I wish it didn't, and actually testifies to things that I don't believe are true. But God is our helper, and likes being needed. But my answer was simple after I thought about it for a minute, I just said, Lord, I just want whatever it looks like, (laughs) whatever it is, all I care about is that they walk away with more faith, more dependence, more confidence, more assurance in your character, more understanding of your ways, and more rest in their body, souls, and spirits because they know they can trust you. That is all I care about. And in fact, it's really all he cares about. That at the end of the, end of the day, all that matters is faith expressing itself through love. That is it. Signs, wonders, TikTok, preaching, subscribers, songs written, messages preached. It is faith expressing itself through love. I was just in Orlando was anyone else in Orlando at the conference? Jesus image? No? Okay, a few. It was so good, huh? There was a pastor's gathering, and I was there with the exec team, Michael and Larissa. Uh, Michael actually shared at it. It was so good. And um, there were some seasoned saints there, y'all. There was a couple, Tommy Reed, his wife, uh, 91, man was like best friends with Oral Roberts and knew 
a bunch of people that I had never heard of, but apparently did awesome stuff. <laughs> I didn't grow up charismatic, so I was like, I don't know what they're talking about, but PTL, you know? <laughs> um, you know, when a 91-year-old man stands up, spine contorted, needing help walking around, eyes bright, countenance beaming, and he gets up, having seen signs and wonders, saw the Lord move powerfully, saw things that we in this room probably long to see. And he gets up there and he said, you know what matters? Do you care? Do you care about people? Are you willing to lay your life down for Jesus in the sacrifice and service for someone else? And all that he saw, he was like, signs and wonders, glory, manifestation, and power, great. Praise God. But at the end of his life, after decades longer than most of us have been alive, he has been walking with the Lord, and he was like, faith expressing itself through love. This is what matters. You listen to a saint that's been around the block like that, whose heart is still burning. <clears throat> um... You know, I, <clears throat> I was given a CD when I was in my 20s. Anyone remember CDs? <laughs> They're these circular things <laughs> that spin around. They have music on them. It was crazy. <laughs> anyway, I'm 41. I look 12, but, or maybe I don't. I don't know. <laughs> People are always like, you're 40? I'm like, yeah. Is that good? No, I don't know. I'm 40. No, I'm not 40. Well, anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm, I'm young. Yeah. But I remember CDs. And someone gave me a CD. Um, and uh, it was by a guy named Graham Cook. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Got some fans in the room. Um, and I'd never heard of Graham Cook. I had no idea who he was. Didn't for a long time, actually. Actually, it wasn't until I came here that I actually found out about his ministry and who he was. I just thought he was a random British guy. <clears throat> and if you know, if you're familiar with Graham, his, <laughs> I don't know, he's just, he prays and prophesies and teaches all at the same time. And, um, and that was the CD. It was kind of this prayer word, you know, it was just laced with the love of God, the revelation of the Father. It was just really beautiful. But in it, he said something, it's really all I remember from the CD, and he said these words, beloved, in that like accent, that's so cool. Anyway, beloved, we no longer have the right to define our days as good or bad, because for us, all is grace. Sometimes it's grace to enjoy. And sometimes it's grace to endure. And most of the time, it's a little bit of both at the same time. Grace to enjoy, grace to endure. But most of the time, a little bit of both at the same time. And I think 
popping the hood, giving you some inside baseball, being in full-time vocational ministry, I taste that tension constantly. I, um, this message actually was, was birthed out of a really raw conversation I had with the Lord after Laura Boley died. A mom of four had just given birth four months prior to her fourth child. We had contended. Anyway, I just, and she died. And, you know, I was just like, Lord, I hate death. I don't understand. And like a good father, he just drew near. He didn't give me the quick answer. He didn't rebuke me for saying the wrong thing. Praise God. He already knows what we're feeling and experiencing, so they're not a surprise to them when we utter them to him. He's, he alone is the one that can take our real, real. You know what I mean? Spouse, friend, buddy, can't take it. He can take it. He can take the real, real. And I was giving him the real, real. I lost my dad in 2008 to cancer. I've been touched personally by premature death. I was mad at the enemy. And I was mad at God. I didn't understand. And so I told him. And he just came in. He drew near. We lamented together. I told him I hate death. And he whispered, I do too. <laughs> and then after silence, I, um, I heard him whisper this. And um, he said, Kevin. Well, actually, he said, Kev. Kev. <laughs> it's how he, that's like, I guess that's my name in heaven. It's not Kevin. It's always Kev. When he said, I don't know why. Kev. You're not just heirs to my promises. You're also stewards of my mystery. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I can be quite dull and slow to understand. And so I was like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? And I realized that we, as people of faith, live in abiding union with Christ, but in the tension of both being heirs to the promises of God, which is Galatians 3, right? That all the promises to Israel are ours as Gentiles, unless you're Jewish in the room. We've been grafted in to the lineage of Abraham. Every promise is yes and amen to us. All the benefits and promises of the new covenant are ours, and we get to with tenacity and faith and fervor, contend for the promises of God to be outworked among us. We are heirs to the promises. We get them all. And one day, when Maranatha no longer becomes our heart cry, but our living experience, and he, the Jewish man, splits the sky and comes down from heaven, we will see the final victory of yes and amen and everything we're hoping for won't be ours <laughs> but in the tension of the now and not yet we also steward mystery because God's will unfolds differently than how we expect sometimes 
And though faith is being confident that his promises are being outworked and fulfilled among us, always, we don't always see them, how, when, and where we thought or felt we should see them. And in that, this can become a stumbling block for us when actually it's an invitation to express our faith, not in the outcome of a promise, but in the stewardship of a mystery. And within the Maranatha cry, which by the Spirit, the Lord has gripped this house. It was a couple years ago, just started with a dream Aaron Smith had, and it's just, it's still, we're still proclaiming it. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. You can come, will you come? But hidden within that cry, Maranatha, is not just a request for his coming. It is also a profession and confession of our willingness to endure. That in crying out Maranatha, we're not just asking him to return. We're crying out, and when you do, may we be found in faith, awaiting hoping and trusting. Yes, it is the great day of the Lord. It is also the terrible day. And as much as we have the promise of a harvest, like the world's never seen, and yes, I believe that as that day approaches, it will be the church's finest hour, but not the way we Americans define finest. And as sure as we have a promise of a harvest, we also have the promise of a great falling away. Why? Because everything circumstantially, if our eyes are not fixed on Jesus, the shaking in the earth will look like he's abandoned us. Wow. And so I, I want to look at, well, can I just be honest? <laughs> I feel so, in my flesh, I feel so insecure. I just have to bring it into the light because what's made, brought into the light is made visible. And what's made visible becomes light. <laughs> That's Ephesians 5. I feel uncomfortable talking about suffering, trials, and tribulation. I do because I don't like them. <laughs> I don't like them in my flesh. I don't like it. Who likes to be uncomfortable? Like maybe a couple freaks in the room. I don't know. <laughs> there might be some masochistic folks among us. I'm not sure. I don't like it. <clears throat> I hope, yeah, I don't like it. Um, but I've learned to value it. Because not just what it produces, because it's not transactional, really. It's about who I get access to and the ways I get access to him in the midst of it. I still don't like it, but I value it. But I do feel insecure. Um, Luke 18. <clears throat> you don't need that grace to... Anyway, I'm not... No, he's correcting me. Okay. <clears throat> Gotta listen. Pierce my ear. <clears throat> Luke 18. 
Um, you'll probably be familiar with this if you've been around for any amount of time. Uh, your Bible probably says the parable of the persistent widow or maybe the parable of persistence in prayer. Um, I don't think either are a good title. I mean, I can't change the Bible. Um, but I don't, I don't like, well, the titles aren't in Scripture anyway. That's man-made stuff. But I don't like the title because I don't think the parable is about persistence. I don't think the parable is about prayer. I think the point of the parable is how it ends and the question that Jesus asks. I think it's a parable about faith. 18.1 says, and he, Jesus, of course, because the letters after that are read, he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. And he said, In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused. But afterwards, he said to himself, though I, (laughs) this is so funny, (laughs) who talks to himself like this? Though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Do you know some people like that? (laughs) I know some people like that. I'm like, oh my gosh, I need a break from you. Um, (laughs) In ministry, you encounter those sometimes. Okay, and the Lord said... (laughs) Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God, implying that he is righteous, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. But this is the hinge. Nevertheless, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Faith is required not just to access the benefits and promises of God, but faith is required in the stewardship of of mystery. But how faith expresses itself, though the same substance, looks different when we're contending, when we're knocking, when we're persistent, it expresses itself differently than when we're waiting, when we're enduring in trial and tribulation. And that is, those are the two mysteries that I want us to look at. You know, as sure as the promise of abundant life is, and we are promised abundant life, that doesn't mean get whatever you want life, it means soul-satisfied life. That regardless of whether you have or don't, there is a mystery inside of you where your soul is so satisfied in the one it's hidden in that you can't be touched. There's just something you and Jesus have together that even in, in pain, there's overflow. There's always overflow with God, always, always overflow, available. 
But these mysteries of trial and tribulation are also promised. That in this life you will have trouble. That's also a promise. And so both are real and both are true. And sometimes I think as a leader in this house and to whatever degree in the body of Christ, a little bitty, um, sometimes I think that we do a great job of presenting before you what's available in God and for pointing you to the promises of God, and rightly so. But sometimes I think we don't do the best job of equipping you to suffer well. Help me. Help you. Help us. (laughs) Help, help, help. Keisha, wherever she is, she was in here a minute ago. She... um, as a pastor here, reports to me, and I'm always like, I, my most common prayer is, help, help, help. Lord, help, help, help. <clears throat> um, and so I want to look at the difference. You know, it's John 16, in this life, you have trial and tribulation. Um, those are two different words because they're two different experiences that we engage in two different ways because they have two different origins, okay? And so my hope is this. I... And I, I'll just right off the bat, I want to tell you exactly what I think. Because when you start talking about suffering, trial, tribulation, our ears can get weird. And we can start to f- put the puzzle together with missing pieces and project things onto what's being said and read between the lines in ways that are wonky. I believe 110% that God is good. Full stop exclamation point, period, period, period. He's good. And good, not like good in a way that he dabbles in darkness to teach us stuff. That's not true. Light doesn't dabble in darkness when it's helpful. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. God is good. God is good, God is good, and God is sovereign. Meaning, it doesn't matter where something came from. In the sovereignty of God, all can benefit you. All can turn into blessing for you. All can serve you to mature your faith, to establish you in an unshakable reality, and put something internal eternal inside of you. doesn't matter where the origin is. And I had a friend once, so wise, way beyond her years. And um, I was going through a challenging time and was kind of wrongly, it was kind of, I was in the camp of like redemptive suffering. Like God's like, I'm going to give you cancer to teach you to trust me. You know, that's not true. (laughs) Okay. But at the time I kind of believed that it was, you know. And um, my friend kind of rebukes me, but something, well, she flat out rebukes me, actually. Um, but something she said to me has always really stuck with me. And she was like, Kevin, at the end of the day, who cares where something comes from? This is what we can know for sure, that God is on the throne, that Jesus is victorious, that he holds the keys to death and Hades. He's the king of glory, and you're his son. 
meaning that no matter what happens to you, around you, in you, on you, upon you, whatever, you can be certain that long before it came to you, it passed through his loving hands of mercy and grace before it ever came into your lap. You can trust him that what you're now aware of, he's already gone before you and supplied grace. There's grace for this, Kevin. There's grace for this to allow this, regardless of where it came from, to make you more like him and to set you free. Don't miss that and get lost in the question. But trials and tribulations, they are different. It's two different Greek words, two different origins. We are led by the Spirit of God into trial. And I'm going to tell you why. Tribulation comes looking for us. Trial is a beautiful moment where God allows things to happen and orchestrates things around us and in us that actually positions us to display his glory and his workmanship. We are led by the Spirit into trial. Tribulations come against us. They are demonic. It's warfare. It's natural disaster. It is things that do not have their origin in God. They are not from God, but they can produce something of God in us. So how we engage and respond to trial is different than how we engage and respond to tribulation. And I want to I break that down. Um, Matthew 4, Jesus has just got, oh my goodness, well, I lost a page in my Bible. <laughs> wow, I've had this thing to, since 2004, and it, I mean, it's like, look at it, it's like falling apart, but I just can't help but part with it because I feel so close to it, um, <clears throat> but it is, I guess I have to now because inspired scripture is gone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. Uh, Matthew, actually the end of Matthew 3 into 4, Jesus uh, is baptized by John the Baptist. And what follows is a power encounter. Okay, so um, uh, let's see. It says um, in chapter 3, verse 13, <clears throat> Uh, of Matthew, yeah, 3, 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need you to baptize me. But Jesus answered, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. <laughs> Power encounter. He saw, he literally saw the Spirit of God physically descending like a dove and resting and remaining on him. And behold, he heard a voice from heaven, which was the Father's voice. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Oh, 
power encounter. I have encountered the Lord. I have been under the power of God so much that I got rug burn on my face. I have, you know, gotten drunk in the spirit and just inoculated and in awe. I have touched such wonderful places in God and in his presence. I have not even remotely experienced this. This is a power encounter, a mountaintop experience. And then just days later, like just days later, maybe even hours, we don't know for sure. It says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That word for trial, tempted, whatever. I'm going to butcher its pronunciation. Periosmos, periosmos, any Greek scholars in the room? You can confront me later on my pronunciation. It means a putting to proof. It's a proving. A trial is a proving. What does that mean? It means that when we are led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness of a trial, it's not about God working something into us. It's not a punitive discipline of us. The Spirit leads us into a trial to reveal what he's already done inside of us. We feel like when we're in trial... God's against us, abandoned us, angry with us, forgotten us. But what's happening is God is putting us on display. He is putting us as his handiwork on display. A trial is an inside-out work. He uses external things to position us for that display and revelation. But it is an inside-to-outside work. When we enter into a trial, a wilderness, a season of God's silence, a season where we're being tempted by old things, familiar spirits, familiar vices, familiar coping mechanisms. I've been sober for 20 years, and now all of a sudden I feel like I can't hear God, my heart feels numb, and I want to drink again. What is going on? God has left me. No. No, 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 uh-uh. We can't know how free he's truly made us until we're standing in a place of familiarity and go, no, 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 no. Don't be deceived. Just because something familiar is knocking, you have not regressed. <laughs> Just because you're being tempted in ways that you once were but haven't been in forever doesn't mean you're backslidden. It means God's putting you on display. And because we don't know, we, we get so lost in the feelings, we abandon our faith, those trials can lead to regression. 
they can lead to sin. We can cave. And this is why it's so important to be equipped in faith, to understand the ways of God. Because in the moment of a trial, we are being liberated from our own feelings of God to stand in the faith of the certainty and assurance of the word of God that is otherly and holy and mysterious. We are stewarding a mystery. And we are proclaiming not only to our own hearts, but to the principalities and powers that we actually belong to him and that we trust him. Notice that if you keep reading, and we're familiar with the story, so I won't, I won't read it all, but if you're not familiar, the devil does come. He does tempt him. He is very much in a wilderness, no food, enemies lying to him. Did God really say? And isn't that what happens, right? We start to doubt, right? Because God gives us this crazy commissioning, and you're going to steward wealth and, you know, fun kingdom initiatives. And you're like, my car just broke down. I'm about to get evicted. None of this is making sense. You said, mm, and we're instantly in this, this hinge of a moment of like, where do I believe? Did God really say, I don't know, was that a real prophetic word? Was that a real experience? Was that a real encounter? Was that person really hearing from God? Does that scripture really, I don't. <clears throat> and I have, I have been here myself and I counsel so many young people who are so fervent and so zealous for the things of God and they are expressive and they are on fire and then all of a sudden in God's mercy that fire dwindles to like a, just a little wick. It's not out, but it's just like, where'd God go? I don't feel God anymore, what's wrong? They start to spiral and spin out because what God is exposing is maybe there's more confidence in your feelings of him than in him himself. <laughs> faith is not a feeling faith is a substance this is what this is what and listen if you guys get like if you're done you're free to leave I'm, I'm gonna take my time it's Sunday night I'm tired but I'm gonna take my time because I feel like this is so important <laughs> lock the doors <laughs> get out now yeah people are like yes okay good yeah, you won't offend me. It's fine. Um, <clears throat> faith is a substance. It is a confidence. It's not a feeling. And man, so often I've seen people, I mean, have very real encounters with the Lord. And, um, and all of a sudden that season ends. And they're like, I don't feel God. I'm not shaking and baking. I'm not twitching and jerking and laughing. And what is going on? And what's happening is that God doesn't want us to just be led from one experience to another experience. Encounters, I say this a lot. Maybe I've said it to you. I used to think encountering God was the mountaintop. But now I'm realizing it's base camp. Because the encounter just unlocks something about who God is and what I have access to and who I have access to that actually invites me into the process of ascending the hill so that what I experience in a moment becomes a substance that is mine apprehended. That whether I'm in the experience or out of it, it's mine. 
That's the point of encounter. He doesn't want to just go from encounter to encounter just for the experience. Encounter is meant to unlock the substance of faith. And I think sometimes we get lost because we're crying out for the next encounter when in reality, we don't believe the encounter that we've already had. This is the mystery of God. I had an encounter. I grew up Lutheran. We weren't like charismatic at all. I didn't like, the Holy Spirit was hardly ever referenced. You know, he was part of the Trinity and that was it. So this was sovereign stuff. And I had an encounter in seventh grade, bullied, ridiculed, ate lunch by myself, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade year. Like even like the Chinese foreign exchange student made fun of me. Like that's how, (laughs) I'm serious. Like that, the first six weeks, I'm not telling you this to make you feel sorry for me. It's just real. It's where I was. The first six weeks of school was always my favorite because we had assigned seating and I got to actually sit next to people. And then after that, it was by myself. It was sad. It was bad. Like I was bullied. (laughs) I had a headgear. It was like, I mean, I was kind of asking for it. Anyway. And, uh, and I would come home and I'd be like, Lord, I know you're supposed to be enough for me, but you're invisible. I need a friend. I need a hug. And you can't be all that I need, but I, I believe that you are. I just, you know, it was just like a little seventh grade, you know, it was tough. Junior high is awful. And, um, this encounter where the Lord, I, was, I don't even know how, but these charismatic Lutherans didn't, they exist, came and ministered and someone got a word of knowledge. I went up for prayer because I thought I needed to lead the way. Um, I didn't know you could pray for other people and I'd never seen that happen before. And um, so I went up to the prayer line. It was very foreign stuff. And um, <clears throat> my heart was just bleeding. I was in such a mess. But I cared, I had too much shame. I cared too much about what people thought. And so he was like, what can I pray for you, man? And I was like, oh, uh, you know, I'm just kind of having a hard time at school. And he was like, okay. So he's like, I'm just going to wait on the Lord for a minute. And he put his hand on my shoulder and he waited. And after 30 seconds of silence, he just goes, Kevin. And I'm thinking, did I tell him my name? I don't think I did. <laughs> you know, he goes, Kevin, I just feel like God wants to encounter you because I, I just keep hearing him say, it's time for the hug you've been asking, asking for. And I don't know what happened to me in that moment. I've not experienced the Lord ever like this before or since. But I felt the physical embrace of God. The God of the universe hugged me. And I went down. Bloop, popped up. prophesying. I was like prophesying about bitterness in my Nana's heart. Had no, (laughs) seriously, you have bitterness in your heart. (laughs) Repent. I was like, it was like, it was crazy. Liquid love. I have never felt the liquid love of God since. But this is what I love about Encounter is that in the absence of that visceral nearness, the reality is still true. And on my worst days, when I am most aware of my weakness, my brokenness, my stubbornness, my judgment, my inability, I can recall that not going, 
do you really love me? Because if you do, I need to feel that liquid love again. I really need to feel that liquid love again to prove to me that that's really real because I'm feeling like, no, I get to enter into faith expressing itself in gratitude that as much as you saw the boy that needed a hug, as much as you saw him in that moment, you saw me today and you lavished your love on him, then, which means you're still lavishing it on me. I don't need to feel it to believe it because it's become a substance. Nobody, nobody, nobody can convince me God does not absolutely love me and that his love is independent of my behavior. He loved me as an enemy. And he loved you as an enemy. Your obedience, your behavior, your sacrifice earns you nothing. He loves you because he is love and he's fixed his heart upon you. And that should liberate us to trust him. And when we really believe that that's true, we can't not love him in return. (laughs) So this is what trial looks like. It looks like you have a promise and you're waiting. And you're knocking and you're waiting and you're knocking and you are in a wilderness. You're like, this thing's never going to come. God's delaying. He's abandoned. He's left. It is the wilderness of his presence. It is the silence of his voice. Now listen, I know that some in this room, those watching, whatever, you grew up where silence was punishment. Maybe some of y'all are in marriages like that. Where when you show weakness, when you fail, when you are just a human being working stuff out, someone punishes you by withholding their heart from you in silence. That is not how God uses silence. Silence is not punishment. Silence is for us. Silence, the silence of God is actually forming the substance of faith in us. It is not punishment. It is not punitive. He does not, he's not reactionary like that. In fact, he's always speaking. And what happens is moments and seasons of silence, they will come. If they've not come, they will come. They will come. But all the silence is, is the way he, we're familiar hearing him so that we can discover what he's been saying in a new way the entire time. Silence is perceived. He's never really silent. We just are dull of hearing. And he speaks in a multitude of ways. Um, I had an experience this was a couple years ago. I felt dry. I felt like God had left. I had bought a house, gotten married. We got pregnant. I became the campus pastor. I don't even know what else happened. It was like everything. We bought a house. I may have said that already. It was like everything. All the adulting stuff happened in like one year, you know? And I was in over my head. I was running rampant. I was trying to do the best I could at everything. And it was just, I was not doing well. And um, I just kept telling the Lord, like, I feel like you've left me. Like, I need you near because I am in over my head. And I was out one summer night, and I live by White Rock Lake, and the bugs are crazy, and the crickets and the frogs, like, it's like a symphony of, you know, insects by the lake, and it was so loud. It's so loud. Um, I was out there, and I just, uh, I was griping at God about how he'd left me, (laughs) and um, and all of a sudden, 
I just had this thought. Maybe he's not left. Maybe I'm moving too fast. It was like a random thought. I was like, that doesn't even make sense. And when I thought that thought, all of a sudden this breeze in the natural, this breeze just like nice, cooler breeze for summer in Texas came. And it was like almost like a little whirlwind. It was bizarre. And all of a sudden, as honest, every single cricket, frog, insect went completely silent. It went stone cold silent. And the holiness of God, bam, I hit the ground on my patio. I don't even know why I did this, but I threw my shoes because I was like, I'm on holy ground. I have to be barefoot. I, like, I don't even know why. It was just like instinct. It was weird. And I just kept saying, holy, 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 holy. And all I could think of was that verse in Habakkuk. The holy one is in his temple. Let the earth be silent before him. And I just heard the Lord say, Kev, I've been here the whole time. And I realized he opened my understanding and I saw the season and I realized how much he had been speaking that I couldn't perceive and I couldn't hear. I learned to discover him in a new way. And that is certainly how it works in seasons of trial. What's required of us in trial is to resist the temptation to slip into control and doubt. When the thing's not panning out the way that we thought that it would and how we felt that it should, man, we get tempted into control. Instead of surrendering our will to him over and over and over again and trusting ourselves to his care, preaching to our own soul, you're not your own, you are his possession, and telling him you are free to move me around however you want. I am yours. I am not my own. I trust you. And I believe that everything you do is purposeful. And so how this is unraveling is a mystery to me, but I refuse to make it happen because I really know I can't. And I refuse to doubt that it will because I believe like Abraham that the one who promised is faithful and the one who promised will deliver even in the barrenness of what I'm experiencing and, and, and the weariness of my own heart and soul. I trust you and I entrust myself to you. This is what's required. And we do that over and over and over again. And suddenly, in a moment, he just floods in. In 2013, I had encountered the Lord in 2012, got pulled out of all my rebellion and craziness. And in 2013, I'd had a year of bliss. I mean, I was like under the presence of God, at home alone, videotaping myself like shaking, like I was just, you know? And I was exhorting my future self. Drunken laugh cry. Telling myself, if this is what God has to offer, deny him nothing. Give him whatever he says. Even if this leaves, and it did, it did leave. But even if this leaves, he's worthy Give him whatever he asks. And I just somehow knew, somehow in my spirit, the tangibility. I mean, I feel God. He's actually starting to reawaken it, which is kind of exciting for me. Um, It's been a long time. I know. I'm just excited. But, I, you know, whatever. Well, it's his business. But 
there was something in me that was like, this will, this will go maybe forever, but at least for a season, I know it will, so that I can walk by faith and not by feeling or sight. But I need to exhort myself while I'm in it to remind myself when I'm not that he's still good and worth it. But all of a sudden, I woke up one day in 2013, it was like God left me. No more laugh cry, no more shaking, no more videos. <laughs> I could feel nothing. God and I had a telephone call. I'd ask him about food and traffic. And I mean, it was like a walkie-talkie. It was crazy. It was crazy how it was instant. It was crazy. And his voice was gone. And I freaked out. I absolutely freaked out. <clears throat> and all I knew was to be really honest before God and really, really careful about who I chose to share that with, entrusting the process to people that I knew would tell me the truth and speak grace and faith into my heart, not anything else. And But I felt awful because I felt like all of a sudden in the absence of the feelings of God, all of a sudden, it's like I began to realize that I'd been on a honeymoon for the last year. And I had walked away from an identity, a very lucrative job. I'd given away all my money. I was living like a pauper and eating oatmeal constantly because it was a season of stripping, but I was so satisfied in the presence of God. And then all of a sudden, it was like, holy moly, you've taken everything from me. It was like I realized all of a sudden, my life's not the same. And I wasn't happy about it. <laughs> And I was so conflicted, guys, because I was thinking, I, I was guilty. I felt guilty, feeling angry that God had saved me. But all that I wanted was I wanted to be rich again. I wanted to do what I want, drink what I want, smoke what I want, live how I want, say what I want, cuss how I want. I want to do what I want, and you have taken all of that from me, all of it but I want to be in charge of my life again because now you're gone. And all I am, I'm sitting, I feel like I'm living like a 20-year-old again and I'm 30. Like, you've taken everything from me, but I felt horrible because I'm like, I know you saved me from death. You brought me back from the grave. I should be grateful, but I'm PO'd. And I remember talking to my mentor at the time, Sean, and I was like, I feel awful. I feel so bad. I feel like I'm rejecting God. I'm like spitting in his face when I should be so grateful, but I feel like he's stripped me bare. He has stripped me bare, and I have nothing to show for it except pain. I'm in a wilderness, and there's no food or water. And he was silent for a minute, and I'm like, not you too, Sean. Say something. Somebody say something to me, please. And he said to me, Kev, you don't need God to speak. You need God to sit. What? <laughs> you don't need God to speak. You need God to sit. You need to grieve. And you're resisting it. And there's a place of intimacy in the fellowship of his sufferings where he wants to be intimate with you in the grieving. And he, he told me, God's like a husband whose wife is unfaithful. And she confesses 
the affair, she repents, she walks away from that relationship, they're restored, and for a decade, they're walking in union and bliss. But then all of a sudden, through a friend or someone, she hears that the man that she had been unfaithful with died suddenly. And her heart, grief hits her heart. Because regardless of how jacked that relationship was, there was something real of connection there. And God, as the husband, is not so insecure that he gets threatened by that grief or so rage-filled that he comes at her with accusation and blame that you almost destroyed this marriage. This man almost took everything from us. How on earth are you sad that he is dead? But God, as that husband, draws near and allows the wife to put her head on his chest as she weeps and, she, and he weeps with her. And he said, you don't need God to speak, you need God to sit. And sure enough, for three months, it was brutal. God and trials are, it was awful. It was a horrible experience. It was so much grief, so much fear, so much was going on in my heart, but I would constantly declare this one thing now to him who is able to keep me from stumbling now to you who are able to keep me from falling Lord I will go back if it's left up to me but I entrust myself to you have done something in me that I have I can't claim you've done it so you're gonna keep me you have to keep me and I know as dark as this is so was the tomb for three days and suddenly light broke forth and I am believing but help my unbelief because I am getting tired and weary and I don't know where you went, but I know that you're here because I've heard your voice before and you promised to never... And what I didn't realize was happening was the feeling was gone, but my language with God was this. My faith was founded on this, on, on, the, on the certainty of his promises, on his character, on his nature, and it became a weapon not just against the enemy, but against my own fragility. But it was broken. It wasn't sexy. It wasn't strong. It was weak and sad and pitiful, but it was sincere and honest faith. And truly in that season, when I look back, God was speaking so much, and that is what's true, that I didn't see until I got out of it. Oh, he deposited so much in those three months that I'm still eating on <laughs> Oh my gosh, it was, I was blind to it at the time, but he was doing much and he does in seasons of trial. But what it was really under was, I, what it was all about was um, I was being put on display because what I got to see at the end of that trial when he did flip the lights on, where I passed the test by the grace of God, was not only that I really did believe that he could satisfy my soul, but that he actually did. That that's not an empty promise that sounds good on a t-shirt, but that he is able to satisfy every longing of the heart. It was a battle for soul satisfaction. 
And I couldn't see until I went through that trial that my heart had already chosen to be satisfied in him alone. Tribulation is different. I know it's getting late. So um, tribulation is different. It's a different word. It's flipsis. Flipsis. Um, I like to say I'm flipping out. Um, <laughs> tribulation, if, if trial, if we're led by the Spirit into trial to be put on display, it's an inside-out work. Tribulation is an outside-in work where God in his sovereignty uses things that have origins outside of God to produce something eternal in us. It's an outside-in work. The mystery of tribulation, so Philipsis, let me tell you this first, it means a narrow place, literally, a narrow place, a confined place. What it implies, though, is its meaning, which is the internal pressure that we feel when we feel like there's no way out of a situation. It's a diagnosis. It's a spouse that tells you they're divorcing you. It's a bankruptcy, a loss of a business, a death. It is a circumstance outside of the nature of God that makes us feel stuck, trapped, and like there's no way out. It comes in three different forms. Uh, first, it comes through persecution. Persecution always comes through people. It's when People assign false motives to you, say all sorts of ugly stuff about you, hate you for absolutely no reason, land blast your business, put up placards, you know, you name it. It comes through people. It's a betrayal of a friend or a loved one, which I honestly think is the worst kind. It's backbiting among the brethren, you name it. Secondly, it takes the shape of affliction. Affliction, body, soul, and spirit. It's illness, it's infirmity, it's emotional or demonic warfare, anxiety, depression, disease. And lastly, it comes in the form of trouble, our circumstances. It's a natural disaster, our house burns up, it floods and the whole thing collapses. It's, you know, being laid off from your job. Persecution, affliction, and trouble are the mystery of tribulation. And how we respond to them is different than, um, than how we respond to a trial. What's required in tribulation is to lean heavily into the grace to endure. It's to stand. What's, what does the scripture say when you've done all to stand? Stand, therefore. When we're in tribulation, it's simply something to endure. Knowing that the promise is out now to those who overcome, I will give. And the overcoming doesn't necessarily mean that you pray away the circumstances of the tribulation itself. Maybe you do. But regardless, your heart is set on pilgrimage. And you entrust yourself to the Lord. And you endure the season however long it is, knowing that at the end of the story, you are told you will be coming out of that wilderness leaning on your beloved. 
What's being produced in us in tribulation is purity. Purity of heart, purity of motive, maturity of faith. And what's promised if we endure is glory and authority. If you are in a tribulation, as you endure, what's being produced in you is greater glory because pure vessels can hold more glory. And what you're being positioned for is increased authority. In Revelation, what is it? Revelation 20, it says, Now to the faithful who have been faithful even unto death, those that were beheaded in obedience, in persecution and tribulation, they make their home under the throne of the Lamb forever, and they rule and reign with him. What's needed when we're in tribulation, and for the days ahead, we will all be in tribulation, whether we die or he returns, whichever comes first. But if he is returning, which he is, we will find ourselves in tribulation like the world has never seen before, which means we'll also experience a grace the church has never had before because you don't get grace for things until you need it. We waste a lot of time getting afraid because we're aware we don't have a grace for something that's coming, but the grace doesn't show up till you're there. And when it shows up, we can be confident that it always supersedes. But that eternal perspective, that view of Jesus, that glimpse of eternity is absolutely necessary in tribulation because sometimes people don't get healed and sometimes babies died. I got a text in service tonight that a two and a half week old baby died. Sometimes circumstances don't change. But this life is not the end of the story. And that's offensive to our mind. And I can feel it. There's people that are offended at that. But I got to tell you the truth. That fence is rooted in entitlement. God owes you nothing. He's promised you everything. He owes you nothing. And as we draw near to him, we get to see that momentary and light afflictions are not worth comparing to the glory that he has on offer, just like me in bed filming. Very small comparison. Filming, exhorting my future self. We need to have that kind of eternal perspective that when trouble comes, I am standing upon a rock that is higher than I. If you'd stand up, if you guys want to jump up and play. Um, I want to pray for you. Um, Kennedy came up. She's like our resident Jewish scholar. And um, actually just in two minutes, the sun is going to set, which will begin Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur is the most holy of Jewish days. And it's a day of repentance and atonement. It's a day of evaluation where Jews all over the world will be in synagogue, knees to the ground, faces to the floor, in holiness. And, and she was telling me that 
for Jews, not Messianic, but Jews outside of knowing Jesus as Messiah, believe that this day determines for the rest of the year whether the book of life is open or shut. We, of course, know that the Lamb's book of life is open. (laughs) But it's still an opportunity. There is a grace today, I believe, somehow in the mystery of God's timeline. And there's a grace available for us today to enter into repentance and to allow the Spirit of God to reveal where maybe we're not in the faith. Whether it's trial or tribulation, to let him expose where we've slipped into control, where we're trying to get the thing done and find our own way into something instead of trusting him to put the pieces together when and how he sees fit, to get our hands off stuff and to let go. Maybe it's an opportunity to repent from doubt where you've, you are flirting with the abortion of a promise because you feel you've been waiting too long and it's getting too hard and it is hard. But to let the Spirit of God to whisper something into your ear that allows you to find faith to continue to stand in the tension of the now and not yet, but to not lose hope, to keep knocking and knocking and knocking, knowing that to him who knocks, the door will be open. It will be open. It will open to you. Don't grow weary of well-doing. Endure, and to him who overcomes, I will give Fill in the blank. Maybe it's an opportunity to repent from relying on your own self, your own skills, your strength, your know-how, your knowledge, your gift set, your personality, your good looks, your money, your social position, where your life is comfortable and easy which is dangerous because the life God's called us to is a life of faith, which means it's impossible to do apart from him. And maybe there's an opportunity to repent and to turn, to evaluate and let the Lord, I don't know, strip you bare so you can be set free. So Holy Spirit, if you're willing to be messed up by God if you just open your hands up. Holy Spirit of God. Would you come? Would you speak to your people? Would you speak to me? Would you reveal in the light of your truth where I am not building my life on faith? Any place where I've gotten lost in the trial or tribulation and I've lost sight of you, would you bring holy conviction? and the gift of repentance. And would you open our eyes to see Jesus? 
to hear his voice, to hear his perspective. May we see what we're currently in and who we currently are through your lens alone, Lord. For the weary ones, for the tired ones. I just keep hearing the Lord say, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. It can be hard. It is hard. But with him, all things are possible. And you're not to do it alone. You cannot do it without him. Cling to him. And then lastly, this is just coming up, so I want to be obedient to share it, but if you're flirting with walking away from a promise or you've just kind of an apathy, just like whatever. You know, Abraham, the father of faith in Romans 4, <laughs> it conveniently leaves out in heaven's record Ishmael, <laughs> which is comforting. <laughs> but he did at one point try to make the promise happen in his own way. And we are still, we are still reaping the consequences of his control. And Ishmael is still bucking up against the sons of Abraham. I say that because when we take control of the promise and do it on our own, we sometimes don't realize the magnitude of that choice for generations. And I don't say that to put a yoke upon you. There's no yoke but the yoke of Jesus that's allowed in this place. But I say it to sober us that the one who promised is faithful and we can trust his timing. And there is grace to stand in the soul tension of believing and not yet apprehending. There is grace to stand in that place. And when you do, you are in supernatural territory. You're Peter out of the boat. You're walking on water. And I do feel like there's opportunity for some of you to return to old promises, dust them off and not white knuckle them, but hold them before the King of glory and say, I will dare to hope against all hope again. I want to invite the ministry team up and um, just we'll linger here for a few minutes. I would just ask if you leave um, to do so quietly and, and honor what the Lord's doing for some, but we bless you. I love you. Um, and I hope that God deposited something in your heart today that even if you're on the mountaintop in a difficult season, he brings to remembrance something that feeds your faith and fuels you for the journey ahead. So I love you. I bless you.